Psalm 119. Let's read verses 1 through 3, then we'll skip down to verse 9. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Can I tell you that God's word is not worth anything in a man's life if it's not if we don't take heed to it? And I just want to talk to you a little bit this morning, however long it is that, that God would have me to, about that. And it says in verse 9, Wherewithal shall, shall a young man cleanse his way? If somebody said that to me and I didn't know, I'd I perk my ears up and listen. How can a young man uh, live a life, or a young woman, live a life that's morally pure, that, that's upright before God, his way? You know, we talk about our way, we're talking about our lifestyle our conversation, it says in King James, our conduct, our behavior, basically a pattern of our life. I want my way to be clean before the Lord. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? The Bible says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. We know it's through the blood of Jesus, but God's word is going to point us to Christ. Amen. And I looked up this take heed because you'll see it all in the Bible. I know you see take heed, right? Old Testament, New Testament, all through the Scriptures, it means to hedge about. Okay, so just start picturing. There's a long definition, a lot of, lot of short words, but you'll get the picture of what the word means. Take heed. means to hedge about, to guard, to protect, to beware, to keep oneself, to look narrowly to, to observe, to save, to watch. Okay, so to take heed is a verb. To take heed is an action word. To take heed is not just... It just happens, okay? Um, it's, it's deter- it, it requires on the person's part faith in God, and it requires purpose and determination and attention. I'm taking heed, okay? I'm taking heed, I'm guarding, I'm protecting, and so forth. It doesn't just happen, and if it just happened, then the God's Word wouldn't com- admonish people over and over to take heed. God's Word wouldn't instruct men, take heed, beware, hedge about. Put a guard, protect, right? Take heed, watch, keep yourself. Uh, John, in the, uh, uh, the epistle of 1 John, at the very end, he says, my children, he ends the epistle by saying, my little ch- children, keep yourselves from idols. Okay? And I'm just mentioning that because uh, that's one of the definitions of take heed. Keep yourself. Keep yourself. Watch, guard about. Put a protection about. I'm just going to read a few scriptures. Some will turn to, some I'm just going to read. This is from 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 16. Till I come, Paul tells Timothy, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Take, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So Paul is telling his, his young a disciple, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, he's saying, take heed. Take heed. Give attendance to reading the Word of God. Give, uh, take heed to your doctrine. In so doing, you're going to keep yourself and you're going to keep those that hear you. It's a guard. It's a protection. So the Bible, y'all, is more than a list of facts about God. I know that you know this. The Bible is not just, uh, although it includes this, it's not just a historical record of God and man and creation and God's plans and future plans. It includes all of that. But it's much more than that. It's not just a bunch of, uh, you know, 
prior to now unknown facts about God. And God graciously gave us His Word so that we have uh, this record. It is a record. It's a very important record. It's accurate and it's true. And the facts are, are true about the Lord. But it's much more than that. God is living, right? And His Word is living. It's the living Word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's eternal. The flowers, you know, the grass is going to fade away. The flowers are going to fade away and wither. But the Word of God abides forever. It's eternal. It's living. God is living and His Word is living. He says it's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. God's Word is able to do something. You might read another book uh, that, that's moving in a sense. It, 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 it tugs at your heart or something like that. But none of it is living Word except God's Word. It's quick and powerful. He says that of His Word. And it's able to cleanse a man's way like we opened with. It's able to house, uh, Jesus said to, uh, to His Father praying with His disciples, Sanctify them, Father, through Thy truth. Thy Word is true. God's Word has power. And, and so it's quick and powerful. And a great portion of the Bible is, to, is an exhortation to move men to action. It's, if we just read it and leave unchanged, that is not what God's Word is about. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, you're witnessing to somebody and say, well, have you ever read the Bible? And they'll say, yeah, I've got a Bible, I read it. But they might be an atheist. You know what I mean? They might be an agnostic. God's Word is living, and God's Word is to move men to action. It's to move men to take heed. It's an exhortation from Genesis to Revelation. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is the Word of God is exhorting men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow Him with all your heart. Come, walk with the Lord, obey. It's moving men to action. The Bible says uh, that, that God's Word is not going to return void. Okay, it's going to accomplish that which pleases him and prosper in the thing where into his senate. That's how his word is. He said that's going to proceed out of his mouth. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it, and so it is. It is for to move men. It is an exhortation to move men to love God, to know God, to walk with God, to yield to God, to submit to God. God has a very specific purpose. And He's speaking to men. And by the Holy Spirit, He's revealing Himself to men by His Word. He wants to draw men unto Himself. We have to understand why did God give us the Word and, and that we're to take heed to the things of God. We are to guard. We're to protect. We're to look narrowly to. We're to observe. We're to keep... You understand what I'm saying? The, all those definitions. To beware and watch and protect. Because God's Word is that is an exhortation to men. It's an exhortation to move men to surrender and to yield and to come to know this Christ. Amen? To provoke men. We think of provoking a lot of times as a bad thing. You know, a little, little sister, a little brother provoking their older brother. Right? Poking them with a stick. Taking all their stuff. Messing up their room. And there's provoking them. You know? uh, but provoking can be in a good sense as well. The Bible says in Hebrews... They were to provoke one another unto love and good, good works. God's Word is provoking us. It's living. It's always tugging at us. I could be in sin and I love my sin and want to stay there. Okay? But God's Word is going to keep hammering me about that. He's going to keep convicting me of my sin. It has the power by the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God to pr prick that heart. 
That's what happened on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 people were saved. You know what I'm saying? That Jesus had died just literally uh, maybe 40 days before that. I'm sorry, just a few months before that. And, and here we are, and, and he's preaching the gospel, Peter is, and it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And, and it was God's word that brought them to that. And so God is trying to provoke men to know him, to know that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's trying to bring us into, unto himself. It's a good thing. It's because he loves men. You know, you could just say, well, God could just say, well, forget them. Let them do what they want to do. He doesn't do that, though, does he? He, he, he how much do you've heard, heard it said before? How much do, do you love me? Jesus stretched out his arm and said, this much. Right? He doesn't just leave us. He comes after us. He's come to seek and save the lost. He's still doing that today. And he's trying to make a holy and peculiar people out of those that know him. And he's trying to... Um, Provoke us on in Christ to, to finish the course, to finish the, the fight and fight a good fight of faith. And so he's provoking men that were created in his image that fell into sin, and, and uh, which is the whole human race, to come to him, to look unto me and be saved. So this is what God's word is doing. Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's the spirit that profits the flesh. It's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. John 6.63 The words I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. It is the spirit that quickens, the Holy Spirit, or gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Then he says, the words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. God's word is provoking us. It's moving us. And, and God's word is living. And by the Holy Ghost, it's effectual to reveal Christ, to convict of sin, to light our paths, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It lights up how, what we should do, how we should do it, when we should do it, how do I live my life, what do I say no to, what do I say yes to? Well, this looks like a great job offer, but yet that's not what God has for me, has this for me. If I wait one more day, He'll have that for me. You understand what I'm saying? We're led by the Word of God. We're led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delights in His way. He's the Good Shepherd. He leads us by His Spirit and by His Word. And so the Word of God uh, is able to instruct. It's able to give hope. How many of you need hope? You know what? I, I, I read that the biggest, um, I think the largest cause of you know, death in, in the U.S., ages, and I forget, 18 to 25 or something like that is suicide. There was just a double, hump, a double suicide, a young man and a young woman on the LSU campus this past week. Uh, but it can only be that way if they have no hope. There's just no glimmer of hope. Nothing. And they don't see any other option. This is it. Dying is better than living, which it's not, by the way. But in their blinded minds... Because they have no hope. They, they, they need to know about Jesus, right? God's Word gives hope. The Bible says that, uh, David says, Lord, you caused me to hope. We wouldn't have hope if God didn't give us hope and cause us to hope. I would give up all hope many times. But the Lord doesn't let me give up hope. He provokes me by His Word. He brings things to my mind and to remembrance. He touches my heart. He sends someone to pray over me. He, you know, he gets me to pray for myself. He gets me to... Uh, call upon Him. And He put, stirs that up and puts that hope in us. God's Word is able to cleanse our way. 
Cleanse means, and this one, this scripture we open with in Psalm 119, to be innocent, to make clean. Well, what else could do that? We say the blood of Jesus does that. I, amen. But I'll I put it all together. Jesus is the living word. And it's his blood that was shed. So God cleanses our way by his word because it's a living word. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 19. And I want to read a few verses from that. Psalm 19. Read with me verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. But I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again now, it avails nothing. It's amazing. What, what did David say the Word of God does? And that's not even an exhaustive list of everything God's Word does. But just in those few scriptures we read, but it avails nothing to the man who doesn't take heed to it. We're talking about taking heed to the Word of God. It does nothing for the man who doesn't believe it and obey it. I know that I've shared this before, but I remember uh, this has happened several times, but one instance stands out in my mind when I was ministering in the prisons, uh, which I've done for many, many, many years. I think this was at Hunt, and I, we were, had, uh, were going to the guys on uh, just kind of in their dorms. And, hey, anybody want to talk about Jesus? Can I talk to you about the Lord? And I was talking to this one guy about the Lord, and I said... Uh, you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? Can I talk to you about Jesus? He goes, oh, I tried Christianity, but I'm a Muslim now. And I said, well, I'm not being disrespectful, but you, didn't, you don't try Jesus. You know what I mean? You don't try Him. You might have gone to church. You might have done the Christian thing for a little while and hung out with the Christian crowd and gone to Bible studies. You might have even gotten baptized and sang on the praise band. I don't know what you did. But you don't try Jesus. Because we come to Christ and when we identify with Him in His death, His death, our death, Romans chapter 6, right? His life, our life. Uh, the Bible says that we're risen with Christ in newness of life. In life. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. So we don't try Christ. We come and we die. We come by faith. We don't understand it all maybe at that very moment. But we give our lives to Jesus. What am I saying? I'm saying that there's, there's a transformation by the Word of God, and it profits a man nothing to only hear it, and it goes in. Maybe even it's, it's mulling around in his mind. Maybe the Gospel's spinning over in someone's mind. I pray that it is. But it's not going to profit that man if he doesn't take heed to it, to look to it, to observe it, to guard, to protect, to lay hold on it. Okay? To lay hold on it. Because like this man in the prison, he, he tried something Christian, and may I don't even know for how long, but didn't satisfy him and something else lured him away to something else. But when you're born again, you're born again. If I'm dead and the only life that I have now is Christ risen in me, then that's not something I can just undo. That's something that he did and I couldn't do. It happened to me by faith when I put my life in Jesus. And so the word of God 
It's all those things that David says it is and more in Psalm 19. It's enlightening, enlightens the eyes and, and all those different things that the Lord does, God's Word does for it. It cleanses our way, but it avails nothing to the man or the woman or the young person who does not take heed thereto according to Thy Word. It does nothing. It, it profits. It avails nothing at all. And think about this just for a little while. Um, I was trying to just think of some examples. You know, the angel of the Lord came now, the angels came to Lot when he lived in Sodom. Remember? It was a wicked place. And Lot had compromised. Lot did not commit the sins of, of Sodom, but he was comfortable in Sodom. I know you've heard sermons about it. The first time we see him, he's, he moves, he leaves Abraham, and he goes lives in the plains near Sodom. The next time we read about him, he's inside the city walls and he's living there. He compromised, he compromised, he compromised. He did not commit the sins. The Bible tells us he was just, okay, which means righteous. And the Bible says he did not commit those sins of Sodom. But his soul was vexed from day to day. He was grieved. It was like somebody poking him with an arrow all the time. He was, and you know what that's like to be uh, maybe around ungodliness all the time. But this was his own choice. Well, the, the Bible tells us that God... Uh, since these angels, before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, God gave a, a gracious warning to Lot and says, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. Right? That's what the angels tell him. And so he goes to his son-in-laws and he says, we got to get out of this place. God just told me he's going to destroy the city. We got to get out. We got to get out now. All that you have here, the angel said, Lot, whatever you have in this city, get it out because this city's going down. Okay? I want to get you out. So Lot comes out, and the Bible says Lot was delivered. And he came out, but his son-in-law's perished. Everything he left behind perished. Why? But the son-in-law's didn't give heed because when Lot went and said, God's going, angels told me that he, God's going to destroy this place. We have to get out. We have to get out now. The Bible says that they looked at him and, and thought he was telling a joke. I'm not paraphrasing it. It says they thought of one that he was one that mocked. Like, what are you talking about, Lot? God destroying this. And I've said it many times before, and this is not what this sermon's about. But if Abraham had told somebody that, I think they'd have listened. That's just my opinion. Why? Because Abraham knew God, walked with God. He had the power. He's the one that interceded for his nephew to get him out of there. God would call him his friend. I'm not going to hide this, but I'm about to do for my friend. And Abraham had a testimony for the Lord, a track record of God being evident in the man's life. Lot had compromised. Doesn't mean he didn't know God. He compromised to such an extent to where his testimony was almost non-existent. That's a wonderful message in and of itself. Lot didn't get anybody out. He got out by the skin of his teeth because God got him out. But he wasn't able to rescue anybody. Not even his own son-in-laws. And his wife looked back and died, turned to a pillar of salt. You want to bring people with you, you need to have a testimony of living for God. Okay? So, but, but they didn't give heed. The son-in-laws didn't give heed to, uh, to his warning. The Bible tells us that, uh, I'll just read this. From Mark chapter 10, we know the story of the, the rich young ruler, right? It's in, I think, a couple of two of the Gospels. Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, 
Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. What happened with the rich young ruler? The Bible says he went away sad. Jesus just told him what to do, right? A man came saying, good master. He knew he was good. He watched him do miracles. He saw him do all kinds of things. He heard him preach. He was impressed that he was a prophet, that he was a man of God. Maybe even he, he might even believe he was the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? He might have believed he was the promised Messiah that came running run up to him, asked him, nobody else. He wasn't asking the Pharisees or Sadducees. He said, good master, what must I do to receive eternal life? He asked, he's asking the right question to the right man. All right? And yet he still went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Because he didn't take heed to the Word of God. It requires faith. It requires an action. It requires me laying hold on it. It is not just, oh, that was wonderful. Thank you for sharing that Scripture with me. Have you ever shared the Gospel with somebody or, or, or taught a Bible study or a devotional or something? And Oh, that, that was lovely. It's almost like an offense. You know what I mean? It's like, man, really? But it left him unchanged. And, and Brother Clendenin used to say, we need to leave him sad, mad, or glad. But, but don't leave him the way you found him. You know what I mean? It's got to be... Why? Because if God's Word is at work, then it's going to provoke that person to something. You know. And, and so, anyway, we saw the rich young ruler and he turned and he left and went away and did not follow the Lord. Eternal life was literally right there in his grasp. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He chose riches over <coughs> eternal life, and he wasn't even happy about it. The Bible says he went away sad. Okay? It didn't profit him. What's the point? God's word only profits when we take heed. When we take heed by faith and receive it, and then act upon what the Lord is exhorting us to act upon. In that instance, the Lord was exhorting him, sell what you have. Your riches mean too much to you. That's the one thing holding you back. Sell your riches. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Just come follow me. You're going to have treasures in heaven. And he didn't do it. I think about Naaman the leper, right? Syrian, who comes in. Elisha, the priest, somebody, his servant told him about this prophet in, in uh, Samaria that could heal him. And so he goes to Samaria with a great entourage of people. And he thinks for sure that uh, Elisha the prophet, who he heard so much about, he was told this man, Elisha, could heal him. And so he gets there, and Elisha doesn't even open the door. He sends his servant out to him and says, you go tell him to, to wash in the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be clean. The Bible says he was wroth. I mean, wroth is like angry, over-the-top angry. He's wroth. He's probably about to explode. You ever been that way? He's so mad. Um, and thank the Lord he had a wise servant with him who calmed him down and said, uh, just, just calm down a second. Now listen, if the servant, if, if he had bid you, if, he, if the prophet had bid you do some great thing, you know, like give a thousand <coughs> shekels of silver or, you know what I mean, or say this long prayer, or go up that mountaintop, whatever he'd have told you to do, you'd have done it. You thought, okay, this is exciting. If he, he, if he come in and said a wonderful prayer, put his hands on you and stroke his hands together, put them on you, you would have been excited about that. He goes, why don't you just obey what he told you to do? Just go dip in the, in the, in the Jordan River. And he went and he did it. But there's an example of somebody that did take heed. 
he was contrary to it, he didn't want to do it, and so forth. But in the end, he did take heed, right? He, he dipped in the Jordan River one time, two, three, four, five, six, not, still not healed. You've heard sermons on it. The seventh time he was healed was God's Word said seven times. He took heed to it, and he, he came up and his flesh was clean like a baby. The leprosy was gone. It's, God's Word will only profit a man or a woman, a young person, if we give heed to it. There were two thieves beside Jesus on the cross, one on either side, right? He was hung between two thieves. They were guilty of crimes, and they're paying the penalty for their crimes. They got caught. The wages of their penalty, I mean, of their crime was death. That was the punishment. Jesus is innocent. He's hanging between them. Uh, and one of them is railing on Jesus. Just like those Pharisees at his feet. Oh, if you're the Son of God, save yourself, then we'll believe. Oh, he says he trusted in God. Let's see if God's going to deliver him now. He's thirsty. He says, I thirst. And instead of giving him water, they're cruel to the very end. They put vinegar and gall or something on a sponge and put it up to him. And, and uh, they're just ridiculing and mocking. And so there's one thief doing the same thing. He's railing on him. But one of the thieves, at some point in that crucifixion experience, he said, wait a minute. That light bulb came on for that man. And he understood. And he said, wait a minute, we, we, we're dying because we've done something wrong. We're dying justly for the crimes that we've committed. He says, but this man's done nothing wrong. Then he leaves that other thief and he turns to Jesus and he says, he turns to Jesus and he says, uh, I mean, to, yes, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. What happened? He, he, he took heed. He gave heed. It, it benefited him. It profited him. God and His Word profited the man. One dies and goes to hell. One man, Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. Two guys, they see the same Jesus. They hear the same words that He spoke. One gave heed and one didn't. You understand my point of this? And even as believers, y'all, we can go through life and we give heed to some things God says and we don't give heed to other things He said. I've done it before. I've wandered like a dumb ox, right? And as a believer, in the situations where I was even warned against in the, by the Holy Ghost and maybe even other people, and I've done stupid things that I shouldn't have done. I pray that I've learned from that. At least from this, the few that I'm thinking of, I have learned. Praise God. Okay? But the point is, God speaks. It's only good if I take heed to it, though. It's only good if I lay hold and submit to that and yield to that. And when I can't, then I just ask God to strengthen my faith or, or yield to it, but maybe I can't fully obey it. You understand what I mean? Then I need the Lord's strength. Do you think God will help us? Do you think God would call you to do something clearly in His Word? Speak to your heart individually and say, Sherry, here's what I want you to do in your life. And then He's not going to enable you to do it. You might not have the strength now, but we call upon the Lord in prayer. He moves us from glory to glory. He takes us where He wants us to be. And so, uh, God's Word is not food for thought. God's Word is not... You know, here's a little scripture from Hinduism. Here's a little scripture from, you know, whatever, New Age. And here's a little scripture from Mark Twain. And here's a little scripture from whoever. And then we'll stick some Bible verses in there. Aren't they all wonderful? It's not like that. God's Word is not food for thought. God's not, Word is not just 
a little pleasant thought for the day. It's quick. It's powerful. It's an exhortation to move us. It's get off, off your behind and come with me. Rich young ruler, sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Oh, that was so lovely, Jesus. Can you say that again? You know, it's not like that. It, it's yes or no. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And, and that's what He's moving us to. The Bible says that uh, in James chapter 1, we all know the Scripture, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So just think about it for a second. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So that tells me I could be a hearer only. I could hear it all the time and I could even love it and clap. Say, thank you, preacher, that was the most wonderful thing. I watch a preacher on TV or listen to praise music on the radio all day or I'm up, and yet not do what God is leading me to do. I need to wake up and see, am I obedient to what God is exhorting me to do? And because anything else is disobedience. It's not even just tearing and dragging your feet. It's disobedience. And we need to get on with it. And the Bible says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Isn't that similar to what we opened with in Psalm 119? How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so the man that's going to be blessed in his deed is going to look into the perfect law of liberty. That's the law of Christ and the law of life in the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And he's going to continue in it. He's going to walk in that. He's going to be blessed. You want your life to be blessed? I do. I want my life to be blessed. I want your life to be blessed. We have to walk in the ways of God and the Word of God. I just want to read some quotes. We're going to be bringing this uh, to a close this morning pretty soon. But I want to read this. I was reading this from a commentary. It says, Truth divorced from life is not truth in in its biblical sense. So think about that. Aren't facts facts? Isn't truth always truth? It is true in one sense, but truth divorced from life. In other words, I just plaster my theology on the wall and my doctrinal statement on the wall. And I checked off, yep, virgin birth. Yep, Jesus the only way, the truth, you know, only way to heaven. Heaven and hell. And I check it all off. And, And yet it's divorced from practice. It's divorced from any reality in my life. Then it's really not truth in the biblical sense. There's a spirit of truth. There is the way, the truth. There's a person, Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. You understand what I'm saying? Truth divorced from life is not truth in the biblical sense. It's something else. And it's something less. We have churches filled with people that have received truth, so to speak, but to them it's something else and it's something less. Not that I'm perfect and not that you're perfect, but the Lord gets hold of our hearts and lives. There has to be a change. There has to be a real change in my life or I I haven't met this Christ. How could it be that the eternal Son of God, eternal past and eternal uh, future, the Creator of all things, steps into my heart and life because I profess I'm a Christian and my life remains unchanged. The light of the world steps into my heart by the person of the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit, and yet, eh, everything's pretty much the same, but I believe all that stuff. What in the world? That's less than what God came to purchase unto Himself, right? A peculiar people unto Himself. I want to read a little bit more. The, uh, the Bible is a book of exhortation based upon 
the facts that it gives. So it gives historical facts. It gives in the beginning God created. It gives account of Noah's in the, Noah in the ark. It gives account of, of all through the 12 disciples, the resurrection, the whole bit. Early book, church in the book of Acts. But there's an exhortation based upon this set of facts. Now you, Eric, you know, Rental, Chris, Patricia, you serve God. You be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You forsake all and come follow me. There's an exhortation based upon this book that's living, that is provoking, and that we're, we have to take heed to. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If any man will, any. He tells us three things to do. I have to do something. Now, it has to be by faith or I couldn't do it. And it has to be by the strength that God gives me or I couldn't do it. But He gives me both. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He gives me what I need. Finally, my brethren, is strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He enables me to, to, to walk the walk. And it's an urgent call of the Lord. And I don't think most people... It was urgent for Lot, right? His nephews. Get out. The, the brimstone of fire was coming as soon as the sun... says the sun was just coming up and God started raining it down. Okay, a lot of times I don't think people know how urgent it is. God knows how urgent it is. You know when we're to obey? When God speaks to us. Amen. That's when we're to obey. If He shows me this today and I put it off for five years, there'll be some kind of something I've lacked or missed. Okay? If I'm lost and died before I got saved, then I'm lost. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm a Christian and, and, and I'm disobeying the Lord, the time to obey the Lord is when He's ministering and speaking His Word to us. When it comes to my heart and to my mind. And I know it's the Lord. And we have to alter our lives. I remember doing Experiencing God. Y'all heard of that book? Old work study, Experiencing God. Uh, and one of the things that Henry Blackaby said in there was uh, that when God reveals His way and Himself and His way and His will to your life, it's going to require you to make major adjustments in your life, is the way he put it to then follow God. So here I am. I'm living my life the way I want to live my life. Good old boy. I'm not, maybe even a Christian. Okay, I really am saved. I'm living my life. But God reveals His will to me for my life. And the next step, the next place, the next ministry, whatever it is. And it's going to require me. Now I'm at a crossroad, right? I want God to speak to me. We all want God to speak to us. So He reveals Himself. He reveals His will for my life and in His way. And when He does that to me personally, then it's going to require on my part, I have to make some adjustments to get there. Because I'm walking this way over here and God's leading me over here. I'm building up my kingdoms and stuff over here. My, my future, my life, my plans. It was all this direction, even as a Christian. And God is saying, no, here's what I have for you over here. I'm going to have to make some adjustments to get in line with God. You think you'll be blessed by doing that? You think you'll be happy that you did it? Absolutely. You'll be happy when you line your life up with the will of God and walk with the Lord. You don't see it all now, but we can see Him and that's all I really need to see and know what He's spoken. But God's Word is not just a pleasant little letter for us to think about. Theological truth is useless until it is obeyed. Okay? All theological truth is designed by God 
to move us morally to action, to trust in the Lord. And I, I'm going to be uh, wrapping this up. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. Look at this real quickly to Luke at Luke chapter 7. Read with me starting in verse 31. But the Pharisees, I'm sorry, verse 31. And the Lord said, where, where unto then should I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They're like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, He has a devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine giver, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. I was thinking about this. You know what this is that Jesus is uh, upbraiding them for, denouncing them for. He's rebuking them because of their unbelief. Nothing was moving these people. John the Baptist came and he lived an unusual life. He didn't eat normal food. didn't wear the clothes of the day. He lived in the wilderness. He says, repent for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. And they didn't listen to him. Oh, he's got a demon. That's what they said about John the Baptist. We didn't have a demon. He was sent by God to be a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then Jesus comes and He's with the, with the publicans and sinners and mingling. He's not sinning, but He's with them and He loves them and He's around them. And He's welcoming sinners and so forth. And He's eating with them and drinking with them. And, and they said, oh, He's gluttonous and a wine bibber. What's the point? The point is that nothing would move them. God is, wants to move us to actions. God word, God's Word is to move us to, to action. They weren't giving heed by faith. And, and all through the Bible, y'all, I was reading all seven churches that are mentioned in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. You know that there's seven churches that are mentioned, right? And two of them are without rebuke. Five of them receive rebuke. But in all seven of them, take heed. Take heed. All seven of them. Take heed. We open with this. We're closing with this. Take heed. Take heed uh, that you repent and do your first works. Take heed that you don't move, leave your first love. Take heed. He kept telling them, and, and, and y'all, God's word is nothing profitable to us if we don't take heed to it. How is our way going to be established before God? I know there's parents in here. You want your children to grow up and know God. And you want them not only to know God, but you want them to, to walk closely to God and avoid a lot of the heartaches and pitfalls that you fell in in your lives. How is that going to happen? How are we going to be light and life in the Lord? It's going to be, our way is going to be blessed when we take heed to the Word of God. We're in the midst of a sinful and dark world. And the only way we're going to get from here to where God's bringing us, yes, He's able to keep us, but He keeps us by His Word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. His Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to read this story. How many of you remember, I know a lot of you do, I think I was a sophomore in high school, when Mount St. Helen, Helens erupted. Okay? It was uh, the largest volcanic eruption in the, in the U.S. in our history as far as recorded history. And there was a final eruption on, in May of 1980. And leading up to that, it had all the warning signs, okay? It had all the warning signs because there had been some little smaller eruptions and that kind of thing. And for two months, people, the, the experts have been warning people to get out. It's going it's to blow. There's going to be a big destruction when it happens. And uh, earthquakes, 
volcanoes were already signaling, you know, little tremors and so forth, that there was going to be a major blast coming soon. And authorities had plenty of time to warn people. And so they did. They began to sound the alarm. And uh, all but everybody that lived near telling the dangers coming. And yet, despite the seriousness of the threat, and uh, some people had total disregard for the warning. Okay, there was one man. I remember they made a TV show, a movie about it. Um, it says probably, and I'm reading this. Probably the best known to refuse to evacuate it was a man named Harry Randall Truman. The 83-year-old man was the owner of the the Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. So he's right up there by the mountain. Okay? He had survived the sinking of his ship during World War I by, the, by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland. Alright? So he had survived and he thought he could handle anything. And he says, I'm not about, about to leave just because some scientists tell me I have to. Uh, he told reporters, because they were interviewing, aren't you going to leave? Aren't you going to leave? He goes, I don't have any idea whether it's going to blow or not. But I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. And I thought about that. He, he didn't believe it to the point that he would obey it and do it. Ah, it might erupt, it might not. I believe it, it might. I think that's the way that a lot of people are with God and His Word. They believe it, but they don't believe it up to the point till they obey. You understand what I'm saying? And we need to watch that even as Christians, but I believe I'm speaking to the church here this morning. But uh, he goes, I, I, I don't believe it. I, he goes, I, I don't have any idea whether to blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. Well, May 8, 18, 1980, Truman and his lodge were covered beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from the eruption. His body was never found. Uh, it's foolish to recognize the danger and to think somehow it's not going to affect us. I recognize it. I believe Believe I'm not an atheist and I agree with you. Uh, maybe even things God's speaking to your life or my life. But Scripture warns. And Scripture admonishes. It's not all negative warnings either. It's wonderful positive things that He's leading us to do. But He wants us to, to obey. And I'm going to close with this verse. And William, you can come. Um, from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. It says, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. And I'm just going to pray that God would give us hearts, y'all, to, to take heed to his word. To, to not let it be. You know, Ezekiel, uh, God said to Ezekiel, he was a righteous man and a wonderful prophet sent to God's people in his day. And, and I hadn't planned on this scripture, but where, where the, the Lord says, listen, Ezekiel, I want you to go listen to the people and hear what they're saying about you. He's a prophet. He's prophesying to the people, you know, repent, quit your idolatry, turn back to the Lord. I want you to go listen and see what the people are saying about you and your prophecies. So he goes and he goes, what they're saying about you, Isaiah, is that you're like a man who plays an instrument real skillfully and has a lovely voice and are singing. And they just they'll say, let's come and hear what the word of the Lord is. Let's hear what the prophet has to say. And they come to me like my people come and they sit before you like my people sit before me. 
He goes, and they hear my words, but they will not do them. They're not going to do them. I don't want to be that people. I know there's a lost world, a lot of people like that in the world, but I don't want to be a, a believer that doesn't take heed to the Word of God. If God is calling you to a deeper walk with Him, if God has been moving on your heart to get up earlier in the morning and pray and seek His face more than you have before, and you're afraid to because you need your rest, oh, just listen, God can strengthen and refresh your body. I remember when He did that in my life. If God's impressing upon you, you know what, you need to separate from some of these friends. They're, they're not Christian. You're, they're dragging you down. Or I want you to start giving. I want you to start ministering in this capacity. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do as a believer on and we're kicking the can down the road and we're putting it off. We're not giving heed to it. God wants us to yield that to Him and obey Him and trust Him. It's going to be wonderful, I promise you. It's, it's going to be wonderful. He knows our frame. The Bible says that we're just weak and pathetic and we're just dust. He knows that. He gets that. All He wants you to do is put that little weak hand, life into His hands and let Him take you and make out of your life what He wants you to make. He wants it to be. He'll give you the strength to obey. I don't think Paul was an imposing figure physically, and yet he faced death everywhere he went. He faced, faced demons and death and governments and you know sheriffs and being beaten, stoned in prison. His strength is the Lord. Okay, whatever He's yielding you, uh, impressing upon your heart and speaking to you, we need to take heed. We need to take heed as a church. We need to take heed individually to walk in what God has for us. Amen. Y'all stand and just the, the altars are open. You can come to the altar. You can all make an altar at your chair. We're not going to have prayer tonight. So just take a few minutes and, and meet with the Lord. Let Him sow this Word into your heart. And Father, we just come before You. And Lord, I, I stand before You as, as the weakest of all. And I really mean that, God, that I would... I pray that You would forgive me for not taking heed many times to things that You have spoken to my heart to do. I've delayed instead of doing it when you led me to do it, God. Forgive me for doubting and thinking I can't do it or I'm afraid to do it or I won't like it or that won't make me happy. Lord Jesus, help us, God, to yield to you in everything, God. We don't we, we want to take heed. We don't want to be like Lot's nephews. We want to be like Lot and be delivered. More than that, we want to be like Abraham and be a friend of God and walk with you, Lord. I thank You, God, that You care us enough to give us the Holy Ghost, to, to give us understanding. I thank You that You give us the strength and the power. I thank You that You strengthen our faith by Your Word. I thank You for the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and ministering life to us through it. Thank You for revealing Jesus Christ to us. I'll just take some time and meet with the Lord this morning. Thank You, Jesus. Thank you.